Hello, and welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the ups and downs of the creative process and how to keep it moving. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. I am a writer, singer, improv comedy newbie, science fiction geek, and creativity coach who loves helping right-brained folks get unstuck. I am so excited to be coming to you with interviews and coaching calls to show you the depth and breadth both of creative pursuits and creative people, to give you some insight into their experiences, and to inspire you. Before we get started today, I have a small favor to ask. If you like what you hear, especially but certainly not only if you've been listening for a while, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever service you use. It's one of the best ways to help people find the show. Thanks. My guest today is Don Kotzer, a fellow coach, also a Kaizen Muse coach, a Martha Beck coach, among others. And well, I'm not sure Dawn would call herself a wise woman, but I would. She's going to introduce herself a little more, but I've always found Dawn to be one of the most thoughtful, wise, and insightful people I know, which is why I wanted to talk to her. This is a pretty dense interview, so don't be afraid to take breaks to really let different ideas soak in. I have a lot of links in the show notes at fycuriosity.com to help out, too. On a side note, you'll hear me mention my hesitation in rejoining a choir I've sung with before. I'm recording this intro on Sunday, May 11th, and our performance was this morning. It was fantastic, proving once again to me, and I hope to you, that our initial fears and hesitations about doing the things we love are often completely unfounded. With that, here's my conversation with Don Kotzer. I think that um, we kind of agreed that you were better at explaining what all you do than I would be so okay I can give it a try (laughs) I can give it a try because you do so many things I do you do I do a lot of things I long ago dispensed with having to choose a niche Um, when I was taking Martha Beck coach training oh it was in this century but a while ago (laughs) (laughs) Um, one of the really great discussions we had was um, broached by a coach cadet in training saying, I don't know what niche to choose or niche or however people say it, wherever she was from. Um, And Martha said, you know why you want to choose a niche? No, why? Tell me. She says, because it's easier to start the conversation. It's just a conversation starter. So I start... (laughs) My conversations often by saying, if I'm doing a video, if I'm doing an audio, I will say, hi, I'm Dawn Kotzer. I live in the almost wilderness Saskatchewan, below a hill, below a hill, between the lake and the boreal forest. And I can't tell you how many times that has been enough. People don't care what I do. They want to know. If I can help them, do I know somebody that can help them? Do I have any ideas about what might help them? Oh, and by the way, what is it you do again? So my handle, my handle is, says, declares, states that I am a master creativity coach. I'm a Martha Beck certified life coach. I'm a, you know, 30 year, 30 year experienced entrepreneur i'm a freelancer i'm an artist i'm a doodle activist i see myself as an inner wilderness guide and that allows me to show up in the intersection of where real life meets real life Mm -hmm. Um, i like to tell people uh, because i work with so many people who are both artists uh creatives in some other arena They might be entrepreneurs, they might be freelancers, two different things, they might be business people, or they might be individuals who just want to spend more time with themselves, exploring their own curiosities. So I like to say, well, let's meet in the intersection of aligned ambition, mindset, and creative soul. And I chose those words very specifically because ambition for so many people is a dirty word. It's not a dirty word if it is aligned with where you're at, with who you are, with what is pulling you forward at that time. Our ambitions will change as we go through life. 
But for me, aligned ambitions are dreams with legs under them. You're in action. You're not just chatting about it. Now, don't get me wrong. Chatting about what you want to do is really super important. Nancy, you know that. Mm-hmm. As a creativity coach, you know how important expressing our hopes and our thoughts and our curiosities is. Mm-hmm. But ambition means that you have taken some action, which might mean I'm going to call Nancy and I'm going to see if she can help me flesh out what I'm thinking about in regard to these dreams that I'm having about what I want to do with my life or my creativity. So I meet people in this, in this arena and mindset. I had an interesting thought about mindset the other day. People talk a lot about growth mindset and fixed mindset. You know, the book about um, uh, written by Carol Dweck. I think it's called mindset. It's a great book. I know I've heard of her, but I don't know the book specifically. Right. It, it is a great book. If anybody hasn't read it, go grab it. But um, she talks a lot about the two different mindsets. And I've found that because there's so much mindset conversation out there these days, people now beat themselves up for not having a growth mindset. It's like, oh, I should have been more open to that. Well, maybe. Maybe we are meant to have a growth mindset one area at a time. Yeah. We find amazing things to beat up on ourselves about, don't we? Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I thought, that's not what this mindset conversation is about. It, the mindset conversation is just, where are you? Mm-hmm. Where are you now? Are you okay with that? Is there something you'd like to change? It's okay if you want to change it. And you know what? It's okay if you don't want to change it. Yeah. Let, let your, give yourself time for the right process to find you. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And then creative soul, well, partly that's because this has nothing to do with any of the... Mm, religious spiritual elements that you know that come with the word soul for me soul is where we are most human soul is where we are most human and it is home of imagination which means that curiosity is always riding sidekick always and you if we hamper our curiosity we stifle our imagination and that tends to over time kind of sandblast our soul our creative soul a little bit and i like to i like to i guess help people not do that to themselves anymore Mm -hmm. yeah i i think we don't realize that that's what we're doing you know the same thing as you know when when you're called to write a book or you know be a musician or whatever and you don't do it because your parents told you you would starve to death if you became a musician, <laughs> yeah. or, you know, who am I to write a book or, or whatever. You know, I don't think we realize how much damage it, it can do. Damage even feels like a strong word to me as I say that, even though I know that, that it's accurate, mm-hmm. but it's, it's that subtle kind of damage that just eats away at you as opposed to, you know, it doesn't like hack off your arm. It, it just, as you said, sand blasts away at things. Right. And, and that's why I think um, making room for curiosity is super important. I work with um, individuals who most often have gone through some sort of hellish experience in their life. That's, that's just, that's just who finds me mm-hmm. probably because I know what that's like. So um, we share a resonance right. in that knowing field. And sometimes the only suggestion I have for people I'm working with or someone who asks me 
for some assistance or guidance guidance is to just say, look, when stuff happens, when you see these thoughts, these what people call limiting beliefs, scrolling through your mind, sort of, you know, sort of tightening your throat, clutching at that arm, saying, you don't need both arms, do you? I'll take this one. <laughs> I'll say, instead of beating yourself up, instead of pushing against it, take a breath. Take a breath and try this. Simply say, wow, isn't that curious? Mm. Isn't that curious that I feel that, that I sense that, that I think I should go do whatever? Isn't that curious? What that does is it gives us a little bit of distance. Mm -hmm. And we can step just ever so slightly, ever so gently back from what's going on and give ourselves a chance to ponder, to breathe, yeah. to contemplate, just to create wiggle room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we don't have enough wiggle room. We think we have to do everything right away. We think we have to react to everything right away. I think so. I think so. I um, I know there's a lot of coaches and um, mentors out there who read a lot, especially a lot of the the uh, recently published books. I have to confess here, I don't read a lot of books, probably because I've been around for a while. So I I used to read a lot of them, and I find that the good ones cover the same universal areas it with a slightly different voice mm -hmm. so I pay attention to what's out there and occasionally I will pick up a book and honestly there's this book out there I cannot think of the name of it I cannot think of the author right now I should have written it down because um, I thought of it earlier and there was only one line in this book that everyone else loved everyone else was raving about but there was one line, line for me in this book that stuck and I have carried that line with me for probably about five years because it's just that good. And that line is, I surrender my reaction to this moment. Ooh. I don't surrender the fact that I'm here. I don't surrender myself. I surrender my reaction. And as you and I both know, a reaction is quite different than a response. Yes. So sometimes creating wiggle room is best done one tiny, tiny little step at a time, one small question at a time, one small anchor, reframe, affirmation if you're into affirmations, one small thought at a time. You don't have to fix everything in that moment, as you just said, we rush, mm -hmm. we cram, we crowd. And I don't know that we have to do that. So yeah, I, I think we probably don't most of the time, but I think we get, I want to say panicked, but I'm not quite sure that's the right word. I think that our culture is so focused on doing everything and doing it you know, doing six times as much as anybody else and getting it all done now and being, you know, superwoman, superman and, and all of that, that we forget that we don't have to actually do that. You know, I would, I would rephrase that just a little bit if, if I could. If sure. I may. A big part of our culture is so focused on that. So we get to look for the pockets. We get to look for the gaps where people are less rushed, mm -hmm. or where they have a slightly different approach. I'm coming to you now from um, a little getaway on the west coast of Canada. Saskatchewan winter is brutal, so we, we've taken off for a little bit to get away from the weather. Actually, you guys are having weather. Everybody's winter is brutal. This <laughs> so, uh, but so on this island, this is really interesting. This is a small island. There aren't a lot of people by normal city standards in this locale during the winter. Because it's a beautiful west coast island, the summer is crazy. I don't come here in the summer ever. 
um, because it's just too busy. But in the winter, it's kind of quiet. And I love <laughs> one of the things. I'm not a big shopper, which is good because most a lot of the clothes are, stores are closed here over the winter. But I love going up to the door and taking note of the signs that they have put on the doors. And they're usually something like this. Closed Monday and Tuesday for sure. Might be open Wednesday. <laughs> open third Thursday noonish. Friday and Saturday definitely. Oh, that's great. Or I'll be back. <laughs> Went to Florida to visit my grandma. I'll be back March ish when the weather warms up. And these are people who bust their buns in the summertime. Mm-hmm. But when they do have space, they use it. Yeah. No, I like that. I like looking for the pockets. It's what I call the ish society, right? It's the ish yeah. culture. Could all use a little bit more ish. Yeah, maybe. I definitely could. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious, because I met you through coaching, but I don't know how it is that you ended up coming to coaching and how you started doing things like the doodles that I love so much on Instagram and things like that. Oh, you know, oh, that's an interesting story. Okay. I'll try and make it really brief. Okay. Which year are we in? We're in 2019. No, the year's important. I, I, I'm as surprised as you are that I'm in coaching. It isn't, it isn't what I set out to do. I was happily involved uh, in my own, I've always been an artist, so I've always been doing that. I've always been a bit of a MacGyver person. I'm recycling, upcycling, creating things, seeing what I can build. So I get, I'm probably more of a builder than a MacGyver because mm-hmm. I do not want to repair machinery. Just saying. <laughs> Whereas MacGyver would go right, right straight to that. So, but give me duct tape, and I'm a very happy camper. Alrighty. Right. So um, I have a partner. We were very busily involved in a large field-scale organic farm operation. You're busy. You've got things doing. So between my art and a few business clients, I've been a business consultant for probably about 20 years, and the few business clients that I worked with fairly regularly, I was full-on involved, you know, learning how to drive a tractor without taking out fence lines and power poles. Um, That kept me pretty busy. (laughs) Then things fell into place. Um, stuff worked out well. We had a strategy. We had a plan. We worked really hard. We practiced delayed gratification, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and then things could have sort of fell into place. And I, I had just wrapped up. Oh, I also did a, because I'm a, a professional floral designer by career choice, when you're trained as a professional floral designer, you study the principles and elements of art mm-hmm. that can be easily applied to all design. Uh, so I had a few clients who asked me to help them redesign, renovate their home space, their office space, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden, all of those things sort of wrapped up. So I was, had this beautiful open space of no clients. Everything was working tickety boo in the farm. I think I had a year off or a couple of years off from driving tractor and stuff like that. And I thought, Oh, Okay. I think I should do something now. I'm getting kind of curious. What do I want to check out? Then I got really sick. I ended up in bed for two very long stretches of period of time. I don't tend to watch Oprah. (laughs) Both of these times, I turned on the TV and there was Oprah. More importantly, on Oprah was Martha Beck. Yes. I didn't have a clue who Martha Beck was. And I listened to her and she was interested in all sorts of weird and wonderful things, just like I was. And I thought... Who is this person? So I checked her out, checked into her, thought, oh, I'll just hire her as a coach. What's this coach thing? I don't know what a coach is. I'll just hire her to help me figure out what do I want to do next? And when I discovered that she didn't do that, it was a no-brainer to take her training because I thought, okay, I can figure out what I want to do. Then my, uh, my partner became very, very ill. Coaching, actually, the coach training became a bit of a godsend in that way because it it helped expand a world that had become very uncertain and very scary. Sure. 
fast forward a year or two, um, things remain uncertain health-wise for him. But I realized that somehow I had to find a way to consistently show up doing something that was meaningful to me, but also made, made it easy for me to be available to what had to be done on our wilderness property and in the house and for anything medical relative to my partner. Mm-hmm. That's where the doodles came up. Ah, I started doodling. And then I thought, okay, people were asking me to coach and I fell for all this. Oh, you got to be visible. You got to do this. You got to show up. You got to do this. And I thought, this doesn't make any sense. I've been in business for years and there wasn't this same pressure. What is this all about? But I started feeling really bad because every class I tried to set up for myself to gather clients, every group program I tried to set up myself to gather uh, coaching clients and whatnot, I ended up canceling because my spouse was ill. Right. Again. So I thought, hmm, I'm beginning to doubt whether I'm ever going to be able to show up for anything again because there's so many demands on my time. Right. And then I thought, what is the easiest, simplest way for me to show up with consistency? Because I've been in business. I know consistency is key. Mm-hmm. I've been in retail storefront businesses. You have to go and open your store every day. Right. We don't do things so much ish like in Saskatchewan. <laughs> and what is the easiest way? And I thought, oh, I could take a picture of a doodle and I could post it to Facebook. And I did that for almost 400 days. I did it wow. a day and I posted it to Facebook. That's, that's how long it took me, Nancy, to realize that I could trust myself to show up when I needed to show up for myself. Wow. What a way to find that out. Especially as I didn't set out to do that. Right. I wanted to do something simple, small. And with Martha Beck training, she approaches small steps in a really interesting way. Now, you work online a lot. You have a lot of people online. You're developing your business online, I think. Mm-hmm. So, you know what they talk when they talk about your minimum viable product and your minimum viable audience. Mm-hmm. So what's the thing you can most easily create for the smallest number of people to get things going? I've taken that a step further, and I call it, what is your minimum viable step? Don't talk Ah. to me about things I should do, and I don't want to talk to you about things you should do. (laughs) What is it that I know, as Martha Beck says, is so ridiculously small? that you are guaranteed 100% success in completing Mm -hmm. that step. So that's kind of where that came from. And during that time, because I, I found that our life was just completely upside down for about 11 years now, actually, but 10 years ago, I also took creativity coach training. And then I've taken a few other coach related trainings So they've all merged together. So Mm -hmm. this is why I work with people in that intersection of real life and real life, because (laughs) that's where I live. Yeah. And play. Definitely. And rant and (laughs) cry and dance. And are human. Yeah. All those things. Yeah. So does that, that's sort of, I follow my nose and my nose led me to all of this. No, that's, that's a really cool story. I had no idea that you had been a floral designer. Yeah. I, that was, uh, I needed, (laughs) I, I flunked or I thought I flunked two uh, aptitude tests with my guidance with our guidance counselor in high school mm-hmm. so much so that he said Dawn I phoned your parents I'm driving you home tonight we've got to talk I thought oh no I'm wow. so stupid and it was the opposite it was like I can't give this girl guidance in anything because she has to choose whatever she wants to do she can do 
she says she doesn't want to go to university. And I was adamant. I've always been curious about that because I love books and I love learning. And yet I could not figure out why not university, why not college. And it was simply because I'm a little bit more hands-on than that, I think. Mm, could be. So floral design satisfied my dad because it was a certified focus training. I had to travel a distance away and I could make a very good living from it. Wow. And, and I still work with people in the floral design industry occasionally. Sure. Do you miss it? I don't miss. I no. No. I, I was a designer, a panel designer, a wholesale yeah, designer for wholesalers for a long, quite a long time. Uh, 10 years in a big chunk of, you know, consistent chunk and then on and off for another 10 years. Um, I don't miss that part of it. I love design, but I use everything I've learned. Mm-hmm. Elements of design. I use it in painting like, you know, like this is a linen tablecloth. I bought it at a thrift store behind me for a backdrop and mm-hmm. you just throw paint on it and yeah. use principles and elements of design for that. I, I use it when I'm creating coaching graphics. I create it. I use it when I'm creating business graphics. No, I, I'm really, really happy I did it. And I, I had a lot of unusual adventures as a professional designer. And I've, and I had a lot of success as a professional designer. So I'm really grateful for that, but I'm, I'm good. (laughs) So I'm curious when you had that conversation with the guidance counselor and, and he said, you know, you can do whatever you want. How did that feel on your end? Okay, that was a while ago, so let me go back to that. <laughs> you know, I didn't believe him, and I didn't really quite understand what he was telling me because he was very much nuts and bolts. Mm-hmm. Here's the chart. Here's where you are. Here's where other people are. You know, here's some nameless people who did this. But here's where you are, Don. And actually, uh, in hindsight, I realize now that for me, my my best building blocks in life are actually constraints. Mm-hmm. I find my way most easily when I have constraints placed in front of me because I get instant feedback. I follow right. my nose. I, I can tell whether it feels like it's sandblasting my soul or not. Mm-hmm. So when somebody presents this to you and says, you can do anything you want, and especially if you've been raised not to buy into, you can do anything you want. It's, I wouldn't say I was paralyzed. I I just didn't have a clue what to do with that. And that's actually why I asked, because I remember we took a test when I was in eighth grade and I came out, you know, I, 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 all I remember is percentiles. I don't know that there were other scores, but you know, it was the 95th to 99th in every single thing. And they looked at me and said, congratulations, you can do whatever you want. And I just sat there going, I have no idea what that means. Thank you. That's really unhelpful. And it is. Yeah. And that's a great answer. Actually, that's a really great answer to say often. Thank you. That's really unhelpful, which means that it's helpful. Because if you know something's unhelpful, you actually have an idea of what helpful would feel like. So that in itself. I don't think I realized that when I was in eighth grade, but. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which would have been much more helpful to say, you know, this is not working. I need something else. Well, you might also fall into the same category as I do, and probably a lot of your listeners and uh, creative mm, people, as we know, creativity is, is really when you take an idea and you, you bring it to life using sometimes tangible but also intangible elements. That's what creativity, it's just shape-shifting. That's mm-hmm. what creativity is. So, but many creatives are multi-potentialites. Have you heard about? Yes. yes. Yeah. So I'm definitely one of them. Yeah. With uh, Emily, uh, with Putty-like. 
Yeah. Yeah. Emily Wapnick. Yeah. So we should explain that to people who don't know what that is. Right. You go, you explain. Um, So it's also called being a scanner, depending on who you read. Barbara shares term is scanner. And it basically just means that you have multiple interests that all call to you pretty equally. And therefore you have trouble choosing between, you know, the, it's, it's like, I want to be an architect and a musician. And I also want to, you know, build computers and I love all of them. And I don't want to have to choose between any one. And the philosophy basically is that you can find a way that you can do all of them rather than falling into the whole, you should pick one thing and stick with it philosophy that a lot of us hear as kids. Yeah. And see, I have a slightly different take on that. I see scanning is slightly different than multi-potentialite. Okay. Just a little bit different. For me, scanner has people who are scanners or, or the idea behind scanning to me doesn't address the level of follow through that different individual have individuals have and multi-potentialites. I, I believe they find it easier to follow through with something because they have come to trust they've hung around long enough with an interest that they understand it will lead them across a bridge to something else mm-hmm. that's just my interpretation though based on my personality and my style of doing things in life um so Knowing that, for anyone out there who's listening to this, should you be a person, if you've ever been accused of being scattered, shallowed, or attention-seeking, that is all about them, and you, my friend, are probably a scanner slash multipod, multi-passionate, multi-potentialite, and it's okay. Yes. It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that it isn't helpful to land on something. Oh, definitely not. But as I like to discuss with people, there's a difference between trade off and trade up. Mm -hmm. When you land on something, we can ask ourselves, I mean, similar to Elizabeth Gilbert, when she says, what kind of shit sandwich do you want to eat? I I think that's a really, (laughs) I think that's a really great question. Because it's true, there's stuff that we just have to do because we're human and we want to live another day, blah, blah, blah. That doesn't mean it's all or nothing. It Mm -hmm. doesn't mean, oh, I'm a human, I've got to do this, so I'll never get to do my creative ventures. No, it's, it just means that what, is there something that you can choose to do now, not forever, Mm -hmm. like a prison sentence? choose to do now that feels like you're trading up because a trade-off is kind of all or nothing either black or white a trade-up means oh i got black i got white and i've got yellow based gray (laughs) (laughs) so yeah and and the other thing that that um i find of great interest is when you when you think about the different passions that people have, I don't tend to use the word passions a lot, but I did come across a really interesting description or um, some interesting guidance about people who have a lot of creative passions and how to find your way forward. It's through curiosity, mm-hmm. which you, Nancy, help people foster. <laughs> yes, indeed. I use awareness and curiosity are the you know my two main tools in my toolbox but when it comes to passion which is another form of saying i have this really i have a thousand great ideas Mm -hmm. which of these passions or compelling ideas are you willing to dedicate effort to there's a difference between having a passion and being willing to dedicate some effort to one of your passions I don't know that that's the easiest question to answer, but it's probably easier than some people think it might be. I think so. And and it's interesting to me that you bring that up because the other book that 
deals with multi-passionate, multi-potentialite is, um, I think I've got her name right. Margaret Lobenstein, I think was her name, the Renaissance soul. Oh, that's new to me. And I heard an interview with her, ooh, probably seven or eight years ago now. And I distinctly remember her talking about how the one that you should should follow on any given day is the one that's calling to you on any given day, which is usually what I will tell people who say to me, you know, I have all these things and I don't know which one to do. And it's like, well, which one calls to you right now? Cause that's where your energy is. And so, it, you know, fo- follow the energy tomorrow. You may want to work on, you know, the third thing on your list, but today, you know, run with the first and see where it takes you. And I think we could combine that. That's really great, great suggestion. It is about following the energy. What happens then? I'm curious. What happens when we combine follow the energy with they with with committing to a minimum viable step? Mm-hmm. So part of that has to do with come to terms with realistic expectations. And it also has to come to terms with it. It's it's involves a person coming to terms with the length of time that they want to give themselves permission to explore that option over. It's kind of like loans. <laughs> this is where business comes in. So when you are um, in farming, doesn't matter whether you're doing chemical, conventional, or organic farming, you need land, you need equipment. You need inputs, and those inputs are all expensive. And unless you've been born possibly extremely wealthy or with a lot of cash laying around, um, you often borrow money for that. So you can borrow smart by saying, you know, instead of telling myself that I must pay this off in the shortest amount of time, what is the most realistic amount of time to mm. pay this debt off? Because real life also happens when that right. debt is happening. Now, there's a lot more to it. You live beneath your means. You make sure that you know your finances better than anybody else in your life knows, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I like to think of my projects in the same way because I'm I'm kind of like the Duracell bunny. <laughs> Oh man, I I'm bad. I've had to learn to meter myself because otherwise I would just work and work and mm-hmm. work and work and work 12, 14, 16, 20 hours a day until I got a project done. That's okay at times, but that's a rather challenging way to live your yes. entire life. So when you have followed the energy, as you mentioned, you have passions. Mm -hmm. What's calling you today or now? Where's your energy around this? And then what what is your minimum viable action or minimum viable step so that you can feel this success experience? And that success experience will fuel your passion. It will, it will help you show up tomorrow yes. and, the that, and the day after that. Yes. And I think, too, it's, it's also what is success in this given situation? Oh, good question. You know, I mean, success might just be I sat down, I wrote a paragraph. It's the first time I've written anything in 10 years and it's only one paragraph, but it's still way more than the last 10 years. And now I did that. So it's not quite as scary to look at that blank page. I, I loved what you said on one of your Instagram lives the other day where you said, if you're stuck, look, just find a photograph and write what you see in the photograph or go outside and take a photograph of something you wouldn't normally take. Of, just just mm-hmm. do something so that you can say, Hey, I did this. Yeah. And then we get to celebrate it, which is pretty important. Most of us forget that, I think. Yeah, we do. Be included. <laughs> yeah. Well, as you said earlier, you know, we live in a culture that has a, cert- a few um, 
overt habits baked into mm-hmm. how we feel we should live our day or a big part of the culture at any rate. And celebration, you know, some sometimes I think people misinterpret what celebration is. Celebration is not a thing, it is a feeling. And simply saying to yourself, hell yes, <laughs> I wrote that paragraph. That is a celebration. Not everybody needs to blast it over the you know, social media and stuff like that. Sometimes you just have to say to yourself, I, me, I did this. And, and you know, it's not even just that. It's also because I remember, you know, I wrote when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And a little bit when I was in college, and I don't mean papers, I mean my own writing. And then I didn't for a really long time. And it was probably about 15 years ago that mm-hmm. I sat down. I, you know, I'd, I'd kind of been wanting to, but I didn't know what and, and whatever. And I found this community on LiveJournal that had first lines. And the idea was that they would post a first line, say, every Monday. And by Friday, you would post what you did with it. It was based off of the, there's a magazine called First Lines, the same thing. And if you send your stuff in, they might put it in the magazine. And I found this first line and, you know, I typed it into my computer and this paragraph came out. In fact, I think I got three paragraphs which that story is its own strange story because that story kind of wrote itself in three paragraph chunks over the course of a weekend. And I literally had no idea where they were coming from. But as it happened on top of the mystery, it was also that whole feeling of, wow, it feels really, really good to do this again. You forget so easily that you love the thing for a reason. You know, it's because something about it feels really good. It's like, I went back to choir rehearsal for the first time in a while the other week. And I, you know, I love the Fari Requiem. I had kind of said to myself, I don't know, this, this, this particular iteration of this piece with this particular group may not quite be what I want it to be, but I'll go check out the first rehearsal, see how it goes. Even though I'd sung with this group before, which is part of why I kind of hesitated. And I don't think it's a short rehearsal. It's a 45 minute rehearsal. So every minute counts. I, I don't think I was more than five or 10 minutes in when, you know, I'm singing this piece. I know it well enough that I could be a little bit distracted in my head for the moment. Right. And I thought, what was I thinking? Thinking that I might not want to come do this. I love this. It feels so good to sing this piece. And I think and- we forget that part. That's kind of a celebration in and of itself. And that's what, when you were speaking, sharing your choir story, what you were evidencing, you were showing us by the energy in your voice, what it feels like to come back home to ourselves. Yeah. And we don't do that once or twice or every 10 years. We come back to ourselves every time we have this thought, what was I thinking? Good or bad? I don't care what it is. <laughs> what was I thinking? I wanted to go snowshoeing. I hate snowshoeing. <laughs> I really, how did I forget this? I love snowshoeing, snowshoeing, but not everybody does. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? Evidence is a feeling of homecoming. We've either, we've remembered what it's like to be in our body. Yeah. Familiar in our body. And you can do that over small things, over big things. You can do it many, many, many times throughout your life. Or maybe you just do it a few times throughout your life. But every time you celebrate some form of accomplishment, meaningful accomplishment, I... And really, in that case, every time you acknowledge, every time you acknowledge a meaningful accomplishment, there is a spark of homecoming in that. Yeah, and I I like that word for it. Yeah, because it is it's it's not you know homecoming like at your high school or your hometown. It's yourself. 
And I think we get distanced from that so easily and we don't realize we've done it until we finally come home again. And I, I think for me, I realized, you know, some of this decades ago, it comes in bits and pieces, right? We just find puzzle pieces like crumbs, like Hansel and Gretel's crumb pathway, ones that the birds don't steal. We find the, mm-hmm. the puzzle pieces uh, along the way, along our lifetime path. And I think that's why constraints work so well for me. Even though, it, when I, before I realized how well constraints were, uh, working for me, I would, I couldn't understand. It was like, why, why is there, why, what? It seems like my, where have my options gone? How did this disappear? And then that turned to over time. Oh, so this is what I've got to work with. Mm-hmm. I mean, I might be swearing when I say that, <laughs> but still over time, I realized that constraints align me with myself. Yeah. And when I'm aligned with myself, I am closer to that homecoming path. Maybe I'm on the homecoming path. But that that's part of that's part of the benefit of constraints for me. And as as long as I remember to pack my curiosity, my awareness, and my cut yourself some slack already Donny card, <laughs> I'm constraints can be more magical than people realize. I I agree. And I'm wondering, you know, would you use the word structure there instead of constraints? Or do you think of them as two different things? Because a lot of people would think of structure, I think. I I see them as two different things. Actually, structure is super important to me, but structure is one of the reasons one of the reasons I'm in, I'm able to work with constraints. I know what structure works for me and what structure doesn't work for me. You can do anything you want, Nancy. You can be anybody you want, Don. That is a form of structure. No, nope. lacking in constraints. I want the constraint of saying, okay, this is what I've got to work with. And then the structure is something that I get to draw upon or create based on what has worked well for me in the past and what might work here. Okay. So for me, they're different, but but that doesn't mean they can't be the same thing for other people. For, for me, I see them as, as structure is constraints are the building blocks. I have three building blocks in front of me. Structure is what I pull out of my pocket, a bobby pin, a quarter, and, you know, a ticket stub. Mm -hmm. And I put that, how am I going to put those things together with those three building blocks? Okay. Move me forward. How do I create a structure with the constraint? Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't know, that makes sense. It doesn't have to. (laughs) I think so. I'm just thinking so many people resist the idea of structure. And they resist the idea of constraints. Perfect. That's, that's excellent. Good. That, that is, um, I have a much different take on resistance than most people. I live below a hill, below a hill, remember? Mm -hmm. In Saskatchewan, in the winter, where now it started to rain in November and then freeze to ice. So getting up the hill, hill number one and Mm -hmm. hill number two, if I don't have resistance in the form of traction, which is snow tires or studded grips or gravel or something, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to be able to sink into what I need to do and get some traction. The trick is to say, the word structure doesn't feel good to me. Oh, isn't that curious? The word constraint feels even worse to me. Oh, that's curious too. Any idea why? And just to cut yourself some slack around it. So come up with a better word. Some people like scaffolding instead of structure. And some people like to use uh, limited materials instead of constraints. Right. Find a word that works for you. I'm, I'm fascinated by your take on resistance because as you were talking, I was sitting here thinking, yeah, this is not Stephen Pressfield's resistance. Yeah. Well, you know, I kind of, he has some good stuff on resistance, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that it's apt all the time. It doesn't mean right. that it fits all the time. And for me, there's, 
you can be using resistance, which is the state of physics, to get traction, but you can overdo it. And all of a sudden, you've actually dug your wheels down to the axle and you're going nowhere. So it's important to become familiar with two things. I'm going to use the metaphor of below a hill, below a hill. Mm-hmm. I either have to know the terrain really better than I know the vehicle, or I have to know the vehicle better than the terrain. I mean, if I know both of them, rock on. Mm-hmm. But if I don't know, if I don't, if I don't familiarize myself with the constraints of the terrain or the vehicle, I probably will sink my axles right down in and I, I won't. I'll be stuck. Yeah. That's such an interesting description. I really like it. Because I agree with you. I love the war of art, but there are parts of it that kind of, you know, for the, I'd say probably 90% of it I love. And then there are just little moments of it when I think, eh, I'm not quite so sure about that part. And, and, and that's, that, that's really great for everyone to be aware of saying, you know, I'm reading this book and, I don't understand. I don't get it. Other people love it. It doesn't work for me. Cool. Or some of this works for me, but I don't understand the rest of it. Or, yeah, this is great, but I don't know about that part. So then you get to be, again, use our love of curiosity to say, why Mm -hmm. do I think I have a slightly different take. took me a long time to figure out what my take on resistance was. And the reason I knew that I had a different take is that when everybody started talking about resistance and it was such a bad word, I would just about want to explode. That was a big clue. (laughs) That was a big clue. And I couldn't figure out why why does this trigger me so much? And then I realized that people were painting all forms of resistance with the same brush. And that's that didn't work for me. Right. Sometimes I have used resistance to my benefit and sometimes I've used it to my detriment, but it's only when I understood that resistance is two sides of the coin that I, that I'm able to move myself forward. I mean, I have, I have bogged down with resistance and I've Mm -hmm. had to find a way to, get myself out of the ruts that I dug myself into. And then other times, then other times I'd have to just say, you know, winter's coming. Do I have what I need here to give me traction to move forward? And, you know, 